in the world of Buddhist psychology, the teachings of Buddhist psychology, they teach that in order to get, get really, really well concentrated with the mind, there's something like 35 or 38 different mental functionings or factors that come into play. Now, don't get discouraged by that. Uh, you don't have to know all of those or even engage all of those, but it's interesting that so many different things come into play to you know, act, get activated in order for this process to, to develop and happen. Two of the ones that uh, are important, among the many that I've talked about so far, are what's called the initial application of mind, the initial application of attention, and then the sustained application of attention. So that's kind of technical language, but the, the first applying yourself to the object of concentration, like the breath, okay, I'm going to apply myself. And then once you're there, sustaining the attention, hanging in there. It's two different mental qualities or factors the initial attention and the sustained attention. Um, some people are really good at one and not at the other. Some people are really good at, okay, I can connect to the breath, but as soon as they connect to the breath, the mind's ready to go off again, something else. They kind of drift away very quickly. Um, some people don't have the ability to really, even you know, the motivation or the strength or something to really make that initial application. Some, but some people, once they get there, finally, can stay there but they have just trouble getting there. And if they do wander away, it takes a long time to come back. Um, but both qualities are needed. And it might be a little bit interesting for you uh, to give you two, some images or some, some analogies for this, these two factors of the mind. Um, one is this one of the um, polishing the bowl, which I gave you. That there's a placing the cloth on the bowl and then there's the rubbing of it. If you rub too hard, it's probably not good for the bowl, I don't know. But but um, you know, if you rub too lightly, nothing happens. But you have to have just the right pressure. You have to, then you keep it there. If you kind of lose contact with the bowl and you keep rubbing the cloth, or you know, nothing happens, right? You have to have that, maintain the connection. Another image is that of a bird um, uh, taking off to fly, for flight. Maybe you've seen these big ducks or goose or something, you know, and they're pretty clumsy. If it's big, you know, and they're like, getting off the water, right? Running along the water. They're flapping like crazy. But once they kind of are up and get lifted, they can soar and they can let their, their arms out and just let the updrafts carry them. So the initial application is the effort it takes to kind of be there, arrive there. And then the hanging in there, the sustaining attention is said to be like the bird which has kind of caught the updraft and then you're kind of soaring. And the last one is that of a bee. A bee approaches a flower, is the kind of application of attention. And then once it's near the flower, it begins circling the flower. It stays right there, the flower, kind of smelling. I don't know what they do flying around it, but uh, the, the analogy is given is they fly around the flower. So it's going towards the breath, and then once you're there at the breath, it's staying in its environment. It's, in, in, it's in staying with it, being present for it, studying it, being with it. So hanging in there. Um, it takes a lot of wisdom to hang in there. Wisdom, but that it's important to do, it's useful. That it's, that it's worthwhile to let go of the other concerns you might have, temporarily at least, while you're doing this particular thing. Um, it takes a lot of wisdom about how to be patient and forgiving and accepting of how difficult it is. Um, it takes a lot of understanding about the tricks the mind has, about how it gets tricked and gets pulled away into other things or into judgments or into aversions or criticisms or 
into lethargy or resistance or doubt that might arise. Um, so it requires some monitoring of all this, what's going on. So you can't just kind of lock onto the breath and think that's it. You have to kind of put the attention there and then begin monitoring to see what is it that's supportive and helpful to kind of corral. Is that the right word, corral? What if, what if, what if when cowboys are gathering all the cattle up, do they corral them? Before they put them in the corral, right? They kind of, they kind of herding them together. Maybe herding them together. Right? So you're beginning to kind of lovingly herding together all the different factors of your mind, you know, to get them all lined up and kind of engaged in the same thing. You like that? <laughs> Sometimes I say that um, trying to get the kids ready for the school in the morning is like, you know, I guess other people have said this too, but you know, it's uh, herding cats. Sometimes our mind is like trying to herd cats. But, um, so a little bit, some comments about that meditation session. Anybody, uh, what did you notice? What did you learn about your mind and how it functions and how to engage it and how to relax it and get a balance of these different factors? Does anything you learn there, anybody? So if you don't mind using Uh, I noticed when I that I, w- I would I would tend to to, uh, to lose focus on the out breath as the out breath would finish mm-hmm. that it started to get boring and it was the in breath was more interesting and so I, I tend to to um, get a, go wandering somewhere like in the middle of the out breath on. Great, that's a great thing to notice. That's really important, useful with the breath meditation is to notice um, in the whole cycle of breathing in and breathing out. Or is your attention even throughout, or does it waver at some point? And some people waver at the end of the out-breath, some people at the end in-breath, some people in in-between, they get kind of lost between the transition. Some people, the breath gets kind of vague in some parts, or, some, or sometimes there's, there's a little, n- n- number of different kind of interesting things can happen in our relationship or where we connect at different points in that cycle of in-out, in-out. You might not initially, if, if you're kind of new to all this and kind of just getting your bearings, it might be hard to notice that. But as you start getting settling into the into concentration, then um, you probably start getting, uh, your breath starts getting slower, more relaxed, a little bit more. And you start noticing a little bit your relationship to the different parts of the breath. And if there's some part of the breath where you tend to not be so connected or it's kind of vague or not so clear to the mind, that's where you're more, most likely to have the mind wander off into thought. A, a idle mind gets in trouble. So if the idle mind is, if you don't have something that it's connected to, then the mind drifts off. And um, it'll find something else to do. And um, so if you notice a pattern in part of the cycle of the breath, it's always the out-breath that you wander away, or the out-breath that's as vague, then um, you might need to give yourself a little extra effort, a little, little oomph, to get over that hump, to get through that out-breath, to stay there connected. A little strength there at that point. And then you can relax on the in-breath, for example, a little bit more. I, I also found the, the monitoring really helpful. To, I, I, it helped me also notice that when I, that I tended to start to wander when, when the breath, when like the rhythm of the breath would become uncomfortable or um, there would be like a, a tightness in my throat or you know, I could feel my brow getting really tight, that when, it, when I started that that when I get uncomfortable, that my I'm less motivated to want to stay with it. And I'm not sure if the right thing is to kind of 
kind of trudge through that uncomfortableness or to stop and try and or to, to, to stop watching the breath and and to more try and uh, like uh, breathe in such a way to bring that comfort back or mm-hmm. I think that uh, in different circumstances either one is one or the other might be the appropriate thing and you could always try to uh, it could be a symptom of just trying too hard for example and you just need to relax and maybe by just kind of trying to relax the breath you kind of relax and um, so you could experiment with kind of coming back, finding a comfortable breath again. But if it keeps reoccurring, then maybe there's something else you need to understand and look at. And sometimes if there's something uncomfortable happening, you have to just be patient with it. This process is not always comfortable. So sometimes when it's uncomfortable, part of it is just persistence and patience and hanging in there even when it's uncomfortable. And as long as you can stay there, you're developing concentration. Another thing is that if there's some kind of difficulty that's arising, Sometimes uh, you need to understand what that is, and so if you let go of it or change your state too quick, too quickly, you might not understand why it's there in the first place. So, so you might, you know, so you have a number of options, and hopefully you're, medit- you're going to meditate long enough that you can try the different options out different times. Thank you. Anybody else want to say something? Yes, please. I just noticed that uh, applying a little bit of effort to keeping my mind on track made a very big difference for me. Was uh, it very different than you? Yeah, very big difference for me. Yeah. I remember the, the first week you had said, uh, you had mentioned letting go, and I guess I, I was really hung up on that and was really trying to let go and hope that it would all just come effortlessly. But uh, applying a little bit of uh, effort really, uh-huh. really made a big difference. Right. And sometimes you have to apply a lot of effort. I mean, sometimes the mind is like a wild bronco. I mean, you know, some, some of you have noticed that already. And, uh, you know, if you're going to stay on the Bronco, you have to, you know, you, you have to put in a lot of effort. And it's appropriate sometimes to put a lot of effort and to really stay there. When the, you know, you have to kind of meet the energy of the mind with the mind sometimes. Sometimes it's more useful to relax in, with the Bronco. Sometimes it's really, okay, I'm going to hang on there. Um, some people who associate meditation so strongly with just relaxing and letting go that they don't feel like it's not okay to kind of really try hard here, really you know, engage. Occasionally, it's really useful to engage very, very like a bronco, you know, until it's tamed, a wild stallion or something. Um, So part of all this is learning a variety of skills, a variety of different approaches, and then learning learning to use it in different ways, use different approaches, use it so you begin getting a sense of what's useful in different times. There's not a one approach fits all situations kind of thing. So you're learning, you're learning a series of skills. You're learning skills how to work with different things. Just like a, someone working with wood. They say someone is carving wood. You don't just learn one thing about wood and just carve away. You have to learn the different kinds of wood, different kind of densities and strengths require a different kind of pu- strength of pushing and chipping or whatever, or different knots. You have to work around it. You, you have to kind of work with what you have and the different techniques and tools in order to do the concentration. Sometimes with, with effort, uh, the, the more, co- more scattered the mind is, in a sense, the more effort we have to make at times. At some point, as the concentration develops, it's said that the, or it's, the effort becomes effortless. And there's a wonderful way in which it switches from being effortful effort to being effortless effort. But because at some point it can be effortless, doesn't mean that you jump the gun. And say, so it's supposed to be effortless. I'm just going to sit here and let something happen. You know, um, you have to kind of you know, get that running start. You know, the bird has to flap its wings enough to get up there to get the 
you know, to get the updraft. Uh, and then it's effortless in a sense, right? So uh, don't try to be, you know, don't try to get the updraft when you're still standing on the ground. Anybody else? Yes. Um, it took me a long time to uh, <laughs> stop flapping. Toward the end, um, and it was helpful about the rubbing and of the breath, then I got to a place where it was like I was the breath. I mean, it, it was so pleasurable. But then I wanted more of that, and of course, then it went away. And then at the end, as you were, we were coming out, that I was back in that place, and I didn't want to come back out. And I thought, well, somehow... It's, it feels really good, but somehow I didn't think that I was, well, doing it right. Meaning, meaning that now I wanted, I mean, I was like wanting to stay in that place and trying to, I mean, I wasn't even breathing. The end of the breath went away. I couldn't, I couldn't, I wasn't in touch with even an end to the breath. It was so... Did the end breath come back again at some point? Well, at some point my mind said, where did it go? Yeah. And I took a breath, you know, and then I, I mean, it was more, it, it, I, I, went, I didn't know where the breath went. It just yeah. seemed like it was forever. I'm sure it was just a short, but it felt like it was just, uh-huh. just kept going. I've had the experience where, when I was new to meditation, relatively new, the early years, uh, of um, the breath kind of going out with the out breath and just going and going and going and and they go, oh, I'm going to die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got, you got to breathe. <laughs> and uh, eventually I learned that the, in that kind of stopping of the breath, you don't die. <laughs> so, you know, you can actually, it's okay to go, go with it. You're not going to die. You know, there's a, there's a, the, breath, the breath slows down dramatically in concentrated states. And um, strong enough concentration, you don't need a lot of oxygen. I think we talked about that last week, right? You don't need a lot of oxygen. No, we didn't talk about that? Anyway, when the mind is really concentrated, strongly concentrated, um, it seems like uh, that the um, metabolism or the, the oxygenation, you know, the mind doesn't need, the brain uses a lot of oxygen normally with all its thinking and worrying and everything. And it seems when the mind gets really concentrated and still, uh, the, uh, I don't think it needs as much. And so you don't need to breathe as much. And so sometimes the breath gets really subtle. And sometimes it seems like it disappears entirely. So if that happens in meditation, don't worry. Um, now, uh, the thing about the pleasure happens sometimes in meditation. And take it as a good sign. Uh, not everyone's going to experience pleasure when they get concentrated. So don't, that doesn't have to be the measure for your concentration. But when it does happen, um, wanting it and getting excited about it, by it can pop you out of it. But wanting doesn't have to pop you out about it. So rather than rejecting all wanting, saying, oh, wanting is bad, that having desire is bad, which is sometimes a Buddhist kind of problem, we think, oh, desire is bad. There are different kinds of desires. And so it's okay to want to develop the, the pleasure, the enjoyment, and actually um, let it become stronger. That can be an appropriate desire. You just have to know how to hold that desire in the right way so it's not greedy, so there isn't kind of expectation or ambition or kind of clinging around it. But so it's kind of more open-ended and relaxed. And it would be nice, you know, if you, you know, 
we're not Christian, but if you're Christian, you can say God willing, you know, Dharma willing or something. And then with that desire, you can actually start working that pleasure and letting it become more, uh, 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 strengthening it, developing it, beginning to suffuse your body, spread it through your body, that pleasure, so it kind of extends out into your body more and more fully. So, uh, just because the desire this time screwed you up, don't reject all desire. It means you have to kind of refine your desire so it's a healthier kind. Yes, please. I'm uh, relatively new to meditating, only about a year. And um, this last week I've noticed in trying the concentration practice, I can go about five, ten minutes, and then I think I go to sleep. I don't fall over, but my mind, um, I don't recall anything I've been thinking about except maybe my brain was spinning little stories and and nonsense, and, you know, there's not any emotion there. It's just, um, so I, I think I need something to... Activate my my yeah, brain. Yeah. So a few things about that. One is that um, some people are associating concentration. Concentration by itself is a is a relaxing factor of the mind. So if all you did was concentrate, you would actually get really tranquil and eventually go to sleep. So you can't only rely on concentration. You have to also have these arousing factors together with it, so you can keep a good balance of energy. Some people have such a strong association with meditation, uh, such a strong association of meditation with relaxation, or some people have such a strong need for relaxation in their life, they're so, you know, worked, worked up, that they're pushing the relaxation factor when they're doing meditation. And for a while, they're getting a lot of benefits. It's really great. I'm getting more relaxed. It's great. But then at some point, they, they go, go over that, cross that line where they don't actually need to get more relaxed until they can get more energized at the same time. Um, you, can, you can get m- m- more deeply relaxed in deep concentration than you can in ordinary states of mind. So, your deepest states of relaxation will happen in concentration. However, if you are only trying to relax without having the energetic aspects also there, you won't reach that the full capacity for relaxation. Does that make, make sense what I'm saying? Follow people? Follow? So, if you want to go as far as you can in getting relaxed, make sure you're properly aroused also. Properly alert. So, that could be. That's one possibility. Another possibility that's somewhat connected to that is that you're sleeping. Maybe you're sleep deprived. And so, um, or maybe you've overworked at work or kind of overstressed. And so, as you begin relaxing, you could actually go further, but because you're going relaxing, there's such a strong need for sleep that that takes over at some point. Another situation that happens is that um, concentration practice, uh, as we begin disengaging ourselves with our normal mental preoccupations and thoughts, the surface chatter of our mind, the surface chatter of our mind kind of functions as a lid, you know, on the pot and the popcorn, you know? And, um, and so, if you take the lid off, sometimes the popcorn goes flying out, you know? Sometimes all the stuff shows itself. You can become, reveal itself. And so, sometimes, um, as the surface chatter dies away, the material that's beneath there is troubling for the mind. 
And so one of the protective mechanisms the mind has is to go asleep. And uh, it's like babies. If they're overstimulated in the environment, they'll go asleep as a protection. So adults have that capacity of meditation sometimes. And that could also be something. If something's about happening, that you, okay, I'd rather go asleep and look at this. I don't know which of these it is for you. You have to kind of figure out for yourself. But if you know there's a pattern, after five or ten minutes this happens, be particularly alert just before it starts happening to see if you can start noticing what is actually happening. You can discover for yourself what is happening if you're paying enough attention. You might have to do it a dozen times before you begin teasing apart and noticing, oh, that's what's happening. Um, now, I, now I can see what it's like just before that this happens. And when I can see, see that cue, then next time I, I'll know what to do so I don't cross that line. Make sense? Last one here, please. Just a very obvious observation that if you know already that you're sleepy, what I found out is I cannot do a concentration practice Mm. in a state of real sleepiness. It just doesn't happen. And so I learned I have to do this at a different time of day. Okay, that's very wise. So doing a different time of day when you're not sleepy. I think it's best when you're doing concentration practice to don't, don't rely on the concentration practice to take care of relaxing your everyday stress. Rather, try to create an environment just before you meditate so that um, you're sufficiently relaxed. You go for a walk, have some tea, kind of make some space in your life. So you come to the the meditation a little bit more relaxed. But also choose a time of day where the various factors are most supportive of you. So when you're alert, if you can. Some people find it best early in the morning, some people other times. Some people don't have much choice you know, when they do it because they're working when they're most alert and, you know, at a job, so they have to do it other times. But what you said, um, it's, um, in, in some monasteries, in Asia sometimes, or, or Buddhist monasteries, uh, they have these really intense retreats sometimes where you get very little sleep. And, um, and sometimes, you know, it's four hours a night of sleep for days, weeks on an end. And sometimes uh, you, you, you'll be nights where you don't go to sleep at all. And I know in, I've heard in Koreans and monasteries, sometimes they go seven days without anybody sleeping. So normally that's kind of problematic, causes all kinds of problems, right? They say psychosis can happen and all that. But in order to manage, well, first of all, when you go on long retreats, your sleep needs drop, just like your oxygen thing drops. And some people, it depends a little bit on person to person, it varies. But um, uh, I found that on long retreats, I do really well on four and a half hours a night. And so I can just you know, do that for weeks and weeks on end, four and a half hours. And um, when I, after I ended a three-month retreat and went to visit my wife, or my girlfriend then, and after a couple of days out of the retreat, I think I slept five and a half hours or six hours, and I woke up and said, something's wrong. <laughs> I'm, sleeping, I'm sleeping too much. I'm sleeping too much. You know, she, she, she thought that was crazy. And, um, and some people will go down to two hours at night. And some people will go uh, even less for periods of time. And it's quite, there's no psychosis. It's quite, because you don't need to sleep so much. But in the Zen Korean thing, when, there's a, when you're kind of sleep deprived, in order to survive in that kind of environment, you have to arouse a tremendous zeal or strength of effort that where the strength, where the, the concentration is coupled with so much energy, so much effort in the pl- applying, that that's what keeps you 
focused and present and, uh, and, and capable. So there is, the mind has a tremendous capacity to arouse itself. Um, Jack Cornfield's teacher, when he had a lot of sleepiness in meditation, told him to go sleep, to sleep, <laughs> to go meditate on the edge of a well. <laughs> or a friend of mine who uh, had trouble with sleep and medit- uh, sleeping, he went and got some kind of bowl and that somehow would fit on top of his head and then filled the bowl with marbles. And he sat there because he thought that if uh, he fell asleep and the marbles fell on the meditation hall floor, he'd get so embarrassed that everybody there the heroes that it would keep him awake. You don't have to do that, go to those extremes, but it's possible to arouse oneself, you know. And um, so, um, so. Um, Everyone has difficulty with concentration at some point. Some people have more than others. As I want to emphasize last time, same thing I want to emphasize from last time, some people get tremendous benefit from trying to develop concentration, but who never get concentrated. So just because you have trouble getting concentrated, it doesn't mean that it's not beneficial for you to try or to be engaged in that process of doing it. Everyone has a different way of going through this process, different ways of benefits. If you hear stories from one person that talks about, wow, I had this tremendous bliss and you haven't had that ever, there's no need to compare yourself, you know, or be concerned. Each person has their own way and your job is to monitor and be content with your way and see what you can learn, what you can explore and what's helpful for you in this whole process. As you're monitoring yourself, you also start noticing what happens to you if you do start getting concentrated, what some of the physical and mental f- symptoms are of developing concentration. And, um, and there are shifts that happen. So some of the shifts might be, for example, you feel the body gets lighter or the mind starts getting lighter, both in terms of weight, occasionally in terms of actually color light. You feel like, like the mind gets a bit clearer or lighter, lights up in some ways. The visual field lights up. Sometimes the opposite happens, where as people get concentrated, they feel heavier. Some people, as they get concentrated, feel warmer, warmer in their hands or warmer in their body. Um, I've had a situation of meditating in a cold room and uh, had so much heat coming off that I had to just peel off my shirts, my sweater, my shirts, and down to my t-shirt. And it was just kind of like a furnace. And as soon as I ended the meditation, I got cold so fast, I fell back on again. And sometimes uh, people actually get cold when they get concentrated. And, uh, and sometimes I've seen people cover, I've, I've done that also, covered myself with blankets when I get concentrated because somehow there's not enough inner heat being. So there are different symptoms, different uh, manifestation of this. Um, sometimes there's tingling all over the skin that can happen. Uh, sometimes aches and pains can surface as you get concentrated. As the body relaxes, um, the surface tensions of the body relax the deeper tensions that are usually hidden show themselves. And those deeper tensions, people will say, oh, my meditation practice is going backwards because now I'm, you know, so tense. And it's not that you're getting tenser, it's that you're actually getting more relaxed, but the deeper underlying tension is showing itself. And you know that, oh, oh, I'm getting tense, good, it's working. (laughs) That can happen, right? Um, and there can be changes in your breathing pattern as you get concentrated. So you, one of the things you can 
engage with and monitor is how your breathing changes. Does it slow down? Does it get more faint? Does it move a little bit where your center of gravity is for breathing? Sometimes I'll feel it in my belly at first, and then as I get more concentrated, this center of gravity where I feel my breath changes up to my center of my chest. Um, occasionally people will have uh, other symptoms like the eyes will water, or sometimes they'll get a lot of saliva temporarily. Sometimes uh, people will see colors or images arise. It's best to not get involved in those colors and images. Uh, just continue with the breath, continue with your object of concentration. But just know that happens sometimes. And maybe it's, take it as a cheerleader. Say, yes, you're on track, but don't pay attention to me. <laughs> um, occasionally people will have sensory distortions when they get concentrated, when they're getting concentrated. And um, perceptual distortions, I mean, kind of things. And that is, um, and I understand it this way, that perceptions are seldom pure perceptions. But perceptions are usually, um, usually involved a fair degree of conceptualization. So if I see someone here and I see you as a man, I mean, that's a concept. concept. And it's pretty innocent because I think you are. But, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's still a concept going on that's applying to seeing this form and shape there. As the mind gets relaxed, the conceptualization of the mind begins to relax also. But there's a transi- sometimes a transition period where we're still receiving sensory input, but the creation of the sensory input into a perception, into a concept, um, is still, the mind's still trying to do it, but it'll do it in little bit kind of odd ways. And it isn't that you're hallucinating. It's more like some, uh, something, suddenly someone's they're sitting there and you start, your body suddenly feels amazingly squat. Like, like you, know, you feel so, or your neck or your body feels suddenly so long, you feel like you're going to touch the ceiling. And you have to open your eyes and make sure that, no, nothing's changed. <laughs> or your hands get really big or small or, or something, you know, some, some, some that kind of, kind of, little distortions happen. And, um, and so that's also a sign that you're getting concentrated. It'll, it'll pass with time. There are other things that can happen as you get concentrated, and that's, but this is probably enough for now. <laughs> but in other, words, in other words, one of the things you study, oh, just being relaxed, just feeling relaxed and calm and tranquil is a nice symptom of it all. Sometimes feeling clear, greater clarity arises. So as you monitor and study this, you kind of notice the changes, how things change. And as you notice the changes, the more you can notice the changes, the more it actually helps you to find your way in the future into concentrated states. Oh, this is the way. This is what helpful. This is what I did to get to there. This is what it required. So there's a lot of learning that happens with concentration. So it's not a dumb thing. Just hold your mind like that and everything's going to follow. There was a lot of information given today. Let yourself take in what you take in. And just keep doing the practice. And some of it will be useful, some of it won't be useful. Some of it you'll remember in 10 years. And, oh, well, you know, now it's useful. And, um, but just, you know, it's your engagement with a process that, that's really going to be the primary teacher for you, the teaching for you, and what you learn from your own experience. So the requirements for the class is sitting every day for 45 minutes. Sitting in the class doesn't count. (laughs) 
you can make up for it tomorrow if you need to make up some extra time. 45 minutes. It doesn't have to be all at one time, but it could be you know, three 15-minute sessions. In fact, if you're new to all this, it might be better for you to do short periods rather than one long period. Um, and memorizing uh, the Metta Sutta, memorizing a, a, a discourse. Uh, or say differently, engage in the process of trying to memorize it in a serious, sincere way. Whether you memorize it or not, that's, you know, I don't know. Different people have different abilities. It doesn't matter if you succeed in it, it matters that you try. Even if you just memorize one line, that's all you can do. That's beneficial and helpful in this process of learning. If you have memorized the sutra, then notice that if you don't keep it up, if you don't do it, practice it regularly, you'll lose it probably. So you have to maintain it. Same with meditation. You have to do it every day. The continuity is really important. And if you've memorized it, it might be nice for you to recite it silently or out loud before every sitting, both to get you into a nice mood and also to begin that process of concentrating the mind. Next week, um, I'm going to talk about the obstacles to concentration for, the, for all the rest of you who need that, all of us. It's, uh, understanding the obstacles, the difficulties of getting concentrated is a really important part of the process of learning how to get concentrated. So next, that's for next week. Is that okay? Thank you very much. <laughs>